Then Jesus said to some of the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. They said to him, we're descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be made free? And Jesus answered them, very truly, I tell you, the slave does not have a permanent place in the household, but the son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. The gospel of the Lord. I think I left out a pretty important part of that gospel, didn't I? Who was following along? First, Jesus said, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. It's a big deal. (laughs) The slave does not have a permanent place in the household, but the son has the place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Phew. It seemed a little more obvious at first service than here today because we're much more lively and awake and there's more noise with the kids. But um, at first service, I noticed sort of a um, disparity or a dichotomy or something that felt strange between all the pomp and circumstance of Reformation Sunday. The choir sang beautifully. We were singing hymns like Lutherans don't usually sing hymns. But I could see people... Um, around the room who I know are going through some stuff and it seems sort of discordant and I feel like that's what life is like a lot in the world these days. It's hard to be a person on the planet now Um, and I can make lemonade out of lemons with the best of them Um, and Like I said, life on the planet and in our little neck of the woods, it seems even can be daunting these days, uh, more often than not. Maybe that's nothing new under the sun. Maybe I watch too much news. I don't know. But with that kind of in mind, and with Reformation on the horizon for the last couple of weeks, the perennial message for which, in my opinion, is simply grace upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. I have been trying to keep my eyes open for examples of grace lately in my life and in the world. Examples of grace that stand up and that stand out and that stand over and above all of the hard stuff. All of the ways of the world that seem to win too much of the time really don't. So a few weeks ago, along those lines, Pastor Kogan had someone out there in the world question the fact that we give gift cards to Needler's grocery store to all of our food pantry clients when they come here. And that is not exactly something new under the sun. We've fielded those questions and concerns over the years before. It will happen again. But people know and people have noticed that sometimes our food pantry clients buy pop or cookies or beer with the gift cards we give them along with 
the other food that we also share with them when they come here. And those people sometimes wonder if that's a good idea, if we should police that somehow, if it's a waste to give gift cards to people if they're not going to buy meat and cheese, bread, milk, fruits and vegetables, and the like. They want to know, I suppose, if we should stop the practice of giving those gift cards altogether. I think that it is an expression of grace. It is a small act of generosity with no strings attached to it, as we like to say around here. Sometimes a person wants a pop or a cookie or a beer. And the gift of dignity to make that decision for themselves is good news and it is gracious and plain and simple and it is especially grace and good news when someone else suggests they aren't worthy of it. Grace upon grace upon grace. Last week, I had a mother of three call for help with a few nights' stay at the extended stay motel in Greenwood. At least one of her three children was sick. She'd just gotten a new job, but no paycheck yet. She couldn't move into her new apartment until the first of the month. She claimed to have called every church in Greenwood for help, but to no avail, and so on and so on. And I have heard all of that before. Whether she had actually called every church in Greenwood, I don't know. But she'd surely given the same spiel to enough people that it rolled off her tongue with as much ease and detail as there was apology and desperation in her voice. And there are times when I don't oblige. And I could have been a sucker on Thursday. But I chose to believe her. And I was able to get her and her children a couple more nights of safety and sleep thanks to the gracious abundance in our pastor's discretionary account. Thank you very much. Grace upon grace upon grace. I heard an interview with the father of one of those victims shot and killed at the bar in Maine last Wednesday. Through tears and choking on his own words, he expressed an unfathomable amount of compassion and understanding for the stranger who killed his son. So violently, so thoughtlessly, so recklessly, just days before this interview. This father said he believed that if the shooter had been in his right mind, he would have been a loving person but that something went wrong. He was certain that this man wasn't born to be a killer and that he was sorry for whatever happened to make him that way. And even though he had killed his son, he could not hate him for that. He said he believed in the Lord and that he believed the Lord would prevail in this in the end. Grace upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. 
And because of this man's words of compassion and understanding and mercy, it seems to me that the Lord and the grace of God we're here to celebrate today has already won, as hard as that can be to see sometimes. And not just as some high-minded theological concept or cosmically somehow at the end of time as our faith promises us that God's love is greater than this sort of hate, that God's love and life wins over death, that light shines in the darkness and all the other theological ways that we explain this. But I mean that man reminded me that the Lord has won and that God wins here and now all the time if we allow it. Whenever someone can muster some measure of grace and kindness and humble compassion in the face of the horrible, ugly, terrifying sinfulness that surrounds us in this world, God wins. When a person can choose mercy and hope in the throes of such grief, God wins. When a man can choose patience and understanding and empathy, instead of all very good reason and justification for judgment and vengeance and rage, God's kind of grace and good news has absolutely already won. See, we can theologize all we want on Reformation Sunday. We can sing the praises of Martin Luther's life and work and ministry at our little Lutheran pep rally. We can give praise about the changes his theological insights meant for God's church in the world, all those things like grace alone and word alone and faith alone and the priesthood of all believers and whatnot. But in all of that, Luther was pointing us plainly and simply and first toward Jesus and toward the kind of grace that his life and death and resurrection experienced and expressed and extolled for all people. I also read an interview with Jeffrey Myers. He's the rabbi and cantor for the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pennsylvania, which was the site of that other hate-filled, horrible shooting massacre where 11 people were killed five years ago this Friday. He was sharing his perspective about the persistence of anti-Semitism in our country in light of the war between Israel and Hamas overseas. He was talking about how there are still members of his congregation who haven't been able to return to worship or even feel safe out there in the world generally because of the fear and the trauma they suffered that day and because of the continued attacks and threats against the Jewish community in our country since. When asked something about if, when, or how this might change, or if he had any hope for that change to come, Rabbi Myers said something about his hope that we, that he called the silent majority, would become a vocal majority and start speaking up and speaking out 
and speaking more loudly than the voices of hate and discrimination and fear that dominate too much of our public life and discourse. And that's my Reformation hope this time around. That something will change. That something will be stirred up in Christians like us and in congregations like ours who claim like Jesus did that God's grace is the way to freedom. That to be loved by the Son, as he says this morning, is to be made free in spite of ourselves and in spite of our sins. I think we're called as people of God in this broken, hurting, sad, scary world to lay claim to the gifts of God's grace with no strings attached and to be that vocal majority that Rabbi Myers is hoping for. And to do that not with closed fists and stingy hearts, but to practice and to proclaim this grace and good news in ways that are extravagant and surprising and foolish even by the standards and expectations of the world around us to the point that we might get taken advantage of every once in a while or played for fools every now and again on a Thursday. I think we're called to be as aggressively gracious with the kind of mercy and forgiveness and love that we proclaim and that we long for as those who proclaim and long for and practice the opposite. And I think when we have the faith and the courage and the generosity and the hope to put that kind of grace into action, God wins. We remind ourselves and each other that God has already won. And that so do we. So does the kingdom, and so do all of God's children in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.